today on State Scoop's Priorities Podcast from Scoop News Group. Making workforce development a full-time gig. They don't have to take any work home. Uh, They don't have to, uh, the goal is that they don't have to even study at home unless they want to. I want them to have the time on site to balance the earn and the learn piece of, of this program. Automation as a morale booster. So actually people are, you know, pretty pleased because they are given opportunity to do less mundane tasks and um, and actually do more analytical tasks, more strategic tasks um, at their job. So it, it's, it's much more uh, fulfilling. Welcome to State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Every Thursday, you'll get insights into the state and local government technology community. You'll hear from top leaders across the state and local world and learn about the latest news and trends ahead for the industry. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Here's what's happening this week. Mississippi Secretary of State Michael Watson says an apparent denial of service attack took down websites operated by his office for much of Election Day. No voting systems or vote counting equipment was touched by the attack. The U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency says the agency was in touch with officials to help resolve the issue, and the sites were back online Tuesday evening. Pennsylvania is moving forward with Next Generation 911 after selecting a vendor to guide the state through the migration, implementation, and post-migration phases. The state's emergency management agency signed a contract with Mission Critical Partners to help modernize the infrastructure used to deliver 911 calls to the Commonwealth's county-run answering points. Washington State has a new CISO. Ralph Johnson will return to the Northwest and take the position left vacant by the departure of Anod Brahmapuram earlier this year. Johnson is currently the CISO for the company that owns the Los Angeles Times and the San Diego Union-Tribune, and was previously the CISO in Los Angeles County, California, and King County, Washington. The job will be the third time that Johnson works as a CISO under Bill Kehoe, who is Washington State's CIO. You can read these stories and more at statescoop.com. You'll also find links in today's show notes. State CIOs are bracing for workforce challenges in the coming weeks, months, and years, according to this year's NASIO State CIO survey. In Indiana, the state is continuing work on a project to train and hopefully retain residents and non-IT skilled employees with various IT skills through a partnership with the state's Department of Workforce Development. The state earn and learn program called SEAL gives employees the chance to use work-based learning along with on-the-job paid training to upskill their teams. The effort was nominated for one of NASIO's annual state IT recognition awards this year. John Rogers, the director of strategic workforce planning for the Indiana Office of Technology, tells State Scoop's Colin Wood about the goals of the program and where it stands now. The goal of the program is to reskill citizens, uh, adult citizens in this case, uh, from prior jobs, whatever that might be. And I have folks on the program who are truck drivers, uh, factory workers, line cooks, grocery store workers. I mean, really any, a very, very, very diverse uh, number of walks of life to reskill those folks from having no meaningful, no IT experience, forget about meaningful, uh, into opportunities to serve in the state of Indiana's public sector for the state uh, in IT careers. So moving them from folks who were doing jobs into folks who are taking a, a genuine career opportunity and a step forward and working in our executive branch information technology, information security enterprise. We, uh, we do this with a partner, uh, Brooksource. Uh, they're under the 811 group. 
and uh, they run our talent pipeline. Uh, we have a, um, a basically a, a fluid and open talent pipeline that allows folks to be in touch with Brooksource and to uh, pursue us as an opportunity. Uh, they come through interviews and interview prep with Brooksource. They come on site. They do interviews with our hiring managers here, uh, depending on what the, the business need is. Then uh, when, when they're selected, an individual would come through our program and spend um, roughly 12 months is the is the uh, the average, I guess it would, uh, maybe not entirely fair. I'd say we're 12 months, but we're also fluid. Um, but, uh, 12 months to do work-based learning and, uh, train toward industry valued certifications. So for example, the things that are in the, the CompTIA pipeline. So A plus network plus security plus, uh, CYSA, uh, we've had folks to train up on both uh, Microsoft Azure and Amazon Web Services. Uh, we've had folks go through Project Plus. Uh, it's still in the CompTIA portfolio, though. And uh, then at the end of the program, uh, they are eligible to convert into a state employment job uh, here with the Indiana Office of Technology and uh, more recently, we've started partnerships with two other executive branch agencies um, to uh, to train their IT talent for for needs that they have. Uh, so a person would uh, not only uh, potentially be going for an IoT role, but maybe one with with another agency. And I'd love to see us expand that out even more to uh, to serve other agencies here in the executive branch. Um, now we are we're a work-based learning program. We're not a registered apprenticeship, which means that for us, uh, individuals are getting the job, uh, the uh, milestones and accomplishments done within our 37 and a half hour work week. They don't have to take any work home. Uh, they don't have to. Uh, the goal is that they don't have to even study at home unless they want to. I want them to have the time on site to balance the earn and the learn piece of, of this program. Um, I, I think it's very valuable that if we have somebody who is coming through the program who is like, for example, maybe a single parent, that they would be able to complete what they need to do for us and still be successful hmm. and not, not feel as though they have to go home at night and put in another 15 to 20 hours because of a program stipulation. It's very important to me that they can, that we can balance our needs during the, the normal work week. Now I've got plenty of SEALs who then, you know, choose to do some studying at home or do other things. That's perfectly fine. I, as I tell them, like, I'm not going to discourage anybody from studying at home. If you, if you want to do that, or if you care about what you're doing and you want to just, um, uh, <laughs> spend extra time and I'm not going to stop you if, you, if that's what you want yeah, to do. Sure. Uh, but by the same token, I don't want them to feel like they have to. I want them to be able to leave work and go have a life, take care of the kids. Uh, I, for some of the folks who are single with no kids, like go home, play video games for five hours. I, you know, whatever your thing is outside of work, that's great. I just don't want them to feel like they have to, that our program is a wink and a nod at the work hours. Gotcha. So how about Ivy Tech Community College? What is their role in this program? 
Sure. So Ivy was an early advocate of ours, and they've they've remained a very strong collaborator. We have had a number of people in our program to have Ivy Tech experience, if not if if not necessarily an associate's degree from Ivy, maybe they're taking a class or or are continuing to take classes with Ivy. Um, we are uh, very proud of the fact that um, they've been generous in getting us in front of their students, um, even before we were really a full-fledged program. So this was, see, my first workshop with them was in December of 2019, and I, I knew that I was going to be able to hire two people in the program to start, and sure enough, one of my first two individuals to come through the program came from that workshop. And then we did another workshop about a year later, um, let's see, so that would be in January of 20. 21. Uh, and again, every, every time I've done an Ivy Tech talk, I've come out of there with one of the people who comes into my program, which is really exciting. Uh, since uh, meeting with the folks there on the Indianapolis campus, I've also met with the folks from Lafayette. And um, they've just been a great champion of what we're trying to do. And, and you know, it's, it's great because they can get experience for the students who are moving through their, their program. And I'm, this is, I've, I've only lived in Indiana now for about four years, uh, but this is absolutely one of the strongest networks of preparatory schools that I've seen. I think it's, for, uh, we're very fortunate to have Ivy as a partner. Hmm. Well, it sounds like a, a great opportunity for the students and, uh, you know, and also for agencies, potentially the last NASIO annual survey had a very strong emphasis on workforce because it's something mm -hmm. that everyone's talking about it's i've i've heard it for at least a decade that mm -hmm. it's just tough to compete with the private sector so how has it been i mean you've we've kind of touched on this a little bit but how would you say uh the state has been benefiting how has it been working out so far in terms of getting the talent help that you need well sure um so I mean, we again we started as a small pilot uh, we were in concept in the fall of 2019. We hired our first two individuals in the door. Actually, their first day of service was the the day that Governor Holcomb told everybody uh, to go home, that he issued his executive order for the pandemic. Uh, so that was March of 2020. And uh, we, it, it was tough on everyone, right? Uh, that's That's true up and down state and local government for sure. Um, over the course of 2020 and 2021, um, I think we really we really turned a corner though from in 2021 because we were demonstrating even with just a couple people to start, and then we added two more in July of, of uh, 20. So my first two, sorry, let me let me stop before I stumble around again. My first two folks started in March of 2020, and they graduated off in the spring of 2021. I followed them with two more in July of 21, and with you know all four of those individuals, it was just about demonstrating like, hey, we we're this is this is a thing we can really consider to to help out, to give people an opportunity, but also get the mission needs done, and gradually. From, from the roots of those four and and shortly thereafter adding a couple more and a couple more, I had more and more hiring managers asking me like, hey, what, what is this again? Can I can I get SEAL Associate? Like could they could they do something that I'm doing? Now, my answer is always absolutely yes. 
Um, I really believe in our capacity to train anyone toward a uh, entry-grade IT position, and it's a tremendous growth industry, obviously. We're in a position where in the public sector, we, we have to have innovative approaches to bringing in and retaining talent. This gives us a a way of bringing someone in and investing in them and then really winning, hopefully, their hearts and minds toward our organization and the work. Uh, we also have a you know competitive program coming in the door, so we're not just looking for anybody who wants to do any IT role. They really do want to work for the state of Indiana. And so I see it helping because it's it it is offsetting for us between between this approach and also our commitment to doing skills based hiring. We're really looking and taking unconventional approaches toward having more applicants for all of our jobs here across the organization. All too often, um, you know, between private sector salaries and remote work capabilities, you know, I, I could um, be sitting in uh, Indianapolis and take a job that I'm, I'm remote all the time in, say, Colorado. Uh, if I want to do that, uh, it's it's difficult to to compete with those sorts of things for specialized IT. So instead, we are doing everything that we can to to train up those knowledge assets from in in the beginning of their careers and have them prepared to, you know, take on challenges that that may that may come up as folks retire out of our workforce. As you know, if we would have any problems with retention, which you know, thankfully we we feel like we're in a pretty good place uh, about our, our overall retention strategy, and um, really just giving ourselves every opportunity to put as many good applicants as possible against any of our jobs at any time and you know why not take advantage of a program that develops resources like working within the organization side by side with our professionals training into these opportunities i mean we have we have 12 months to really develop them up in a meaningful way toward taking uh, the next step of responsibility right for another state that's interested in starting a program like this are there any lessons learned that might be useful for them or things that you've changed since the program started that they might want to know about? Sure. So, and I, I guess I should add as a footnote to the last question too, we, um, uh, yeah, I mentioned we, we started with two and we added two more. I've, I have, as of this morning, we've hired 47 people in through the organization in mm -hmm. this way. We have, um, we have we've had uh, 47 people hired into our SEAL program. I've graduated out nine so far into um, different full time opportunities here at IoT. Um, our retention rate sits at about 93 percent. Um, it's I mean, we, I, I'm very proud of the fact that we've been successful in, in getting good people into the right opportunities. And, and that's that's a not intended as a like let me pat myself on the back that's a true team effort um between um myself our partners at brooksource our hiring managers here at iot our executive leadership um so folks i'm sure you've met out and about with like tracy barnes our cto dave fox um our chief administrative officer kevin wilson our chief information security officer hamath jane they're all incredibly strong partners of the program and just having their willingness to, to try an approach like this also. Um, if I was another state or if I was starting from scratch today, 
my realization, I think, really has been that it's not the certification training program. Like when we started the program, I, I was I was really, really, really thinking about like, okay, now how do we get these folks through these certifications? How do we get them trained? How do we um, really get them with the skills they need? As it happens, if you if you hire really good folks who are committed to what you want to do, who are really invested in public sector IT, that they're going to help you on that that piece uh, about a hundred percent. I mean, they're they're capable of getting down into the learning and understanding, taking the practice tests and um, going through the modules and doing the things that they need to learn the IT. Especially when you sit them side by side with IT professionals, when you put them into teams in a work based learning program, they get it. They get it so much quicker. Plus, they're hungry for the opportunity. So it's not like you're having to force them to learn every day on the job. They want to learn. So they're really invested and you're giving them a, an opportunity to be paid to learn, which is an, uh, an additional great success. So I've found that that part, and I don't want to be glib as to say that that's easy. It's not easy, but in the greater scheme, that piece has been easier than just remembering um, the importance of focusing on the the holistic element of, of moving somebody into a government environment, an office environment, that you have to provide a very high-touch coaching and mentoring model that addresses the individual as a person, not just as an IT worker, but you know, this is somebody who's been working in a factory or driving a truck. They haven't sat at a queue before. Mm. They haven't worked in a government agency before. Uh, they may have no knowledge whatsoever really about the mechanics of how government works. You can't take for granted that you have to start somebody from scratch on all fronts. And so I feel like we've been successful in doing that. But, you know, if you'd asked me two years ago, three years ago, hey, what do you think your biggest challenge is? I, I would have said something like, oh, getting folks through Security Plus. Right now, if you ask me, hey, John, what's your greatest challenge? It's like, well, hey, making sure that folks understand um, really how to uh, interact in a team, how to speak up, how to be um, strong communicators, uh, doing some of the um, other skills. I, I, I never like saying soft skills because I think for, especially for IT professionals, they're not soft at all. They're actually quite hard. Um, but getting that other part of the skill set up that's not just IT certs, that piece is really critical. And getting people adapted to government work is really critical. And um, just, just doing that. And, and you know, for a lot of our folks, they've just, in some cases, they haven't even had to really work in a team. So the talent pipeline part of that that we, that we use to identify really qualified people who have the right mindset, that's been um, huge to our success. Um, and then on the back end, it's really it's preparing for the jobs. That, um, you know, hey, this is somebody who's going to come through the program. They're going to do uh, the milestones that we ask and, you know, that we really want to make sure we have the spots available on a staffing table that they can come in and do meaningful work, which that is, um, that is that's less of a challenge to us now because a lot, a lot more organizations, a lot more agencies, a lot more folks at the executive level are familiar with what, what we're doing here with SEAL. Um, with CLIT, and so they understand that um, we're we're providing meaningful opportunities to really qualified folks, 
and it's not just a um um like a, a novel approach it's not this is not just a pilot anymore it's not just like something maybe it works maybe it doesn't um we're, we're very serious in terms of being a uh, talent provider a talent pipeline for iot so um you know just making sure that we have that kind of executive buy-in uh, i think it's i think it's a very important for any state to understand beyond even the it space but the the c level um, whether that's an office of administration or state personnel, whatever the case is, that uh, this is a great way to get people into government service. And again, I believe it's also a great way to get people into government service and, and really win their hearts and minds for the future, not just, hey, I want you to fill a job today. John Rogers, the Indiana Office of Technology's Director of Strategic Workforce Planning. You can read more about him and the SEAL project at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. I'm Jake Williams, host of State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Next week on the show, we highlight more nominees of NASIO's 2022 State IT Recognition Awards. You can subscribe to the podcast at PrioritiesPodcast.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Tennessee is automating processes to improve customer experience, maximize employee resources, and imbue services with greater flexibility and scalability. Through its intelligent automation project, Tennessee IT leaders say they'll reinvent how the state government does business. After an initial flight of 40 process automations, the state's IT agency is looking to add another 80. The project was nominated for one of NASIO's annual state IT recognition awards this year. Bob Pucci, the state's executive director of intelligent automation, tells State Scoop's Colin Wood how automation got underway in the state. Yeah, roughly about two or three years ago, uh, the state leadership um, wanted to improve their um, customer experience and service to um, its citizens, as well as um, improve the work environment uh, of their state workers. So um, it was um, supported by the state leadership and then uh, kicked off roughly about two years ago um, to make improvements um, in um, automations, reduce, you know, inefficiencies to uh, reduce the cost and also uh, provide better service to uh, its citizens. Sure. All right. So could you provide a brief overview of what the program looks like today? What does it consist of? What sort of things are you automating and so forth? Yeah, sure. So um, initially what the leadership wants us to do is go across the well, as you know, there's judicial, legislative, and executive branches within the state. So there are 23 executive agencies. So they want us to automate uh, where possible all uh, processes uh, across the 23 executive agencies. So that would be uh, like um, <clears throat> education, Department of Transportation, Tourism, Veteran Services, um, et cetera, all those, um, you know, um, agriculture, and um, they in environmental uh, conservation, so uh, finance administration, um, human resources, uh, et cetera. So we ended up um, initiating this roughly about March of uh, spring of 2021, where we um, um, you know, built, you know, select, selected the vendor. We started using, uh, we, this, to have this happen, we based, so the scope was the 23 executive agencies. That was the scope initially, mm -hmm. which was the only 
project across the country that was doing a horizontal umbrella <laughs> of automation across all of the agencies. Most projects across other states are, let's do this department or let's do this division within this agency. Um, so this was the first where we were going, doing a whole broad brush sweep across every agency. So the technology we went in to use intelligent automation, um, initially using um, robotic process automation, uh, coupled with uh, optical character recognition, intelligent character recognition, and some machine learning and um, artificial intelligence. Uh, so we basically right right now we're we first built out a foundation, an architecture foundation, a center of excellence, and we initially started building out 40 that's four zero um processes that we could automate and we completed that in about nine or ten months and which saved us roughly about anywhere between 25 and seventy-five thousand hours um uh, annually hmm. and prior to that is you want it if you look at the stats what you first do is go do a discovery see what processes are out there work with the agencies work with the departments um, divisions and see okay what is feasible to automate what is the business value it brings meaning from you know uh, level of hours reduced but also it's that's quantitative right but then there's qualitative meaning you know how can we improve the data quality we reduce this response time to our citizens uh, reduce the cycle time of back office processing <clears throat> so, um, with all those type of metrics we were gathering with it, with interviews, et cetera, and workshops, then we would identify what processes we were going to automate. Um, and that, so basically we did in 2000, this fall of 2021, we started with uh, 40 processes and we just kicked off another uh, annual effort with about 80 processes. Um, and then that's kind of the technology we're using is intelligent automation. If you look at from below that, like the infrastructure layer, um, it's a pretty cool setup is where we just use cloud. We're 100% cloud. Um, so we use a SaaS model with the RPA vendor UiPath or the IA vendor UiPath. So that's, and they, they run in their cloud in Azure. And then our um side which is so so in intelligent automation there's what they call attended bots and the orchestration if you will like the workflow engine that's all in the cloud and all the tools are in the cloud um but then they have these things called unattended bots and what they are are basically bots that don't need any manual intervention they could just run you know uh from the beginning to the end um without any someone clicking or anything like that and so they are all sitting on our Amazon cloud on our EC2 instances, our virtual machines. And we developed a high density architecture, so we're super scalable, scalable. <clears throat> and that's kind of our architecture. We have mm. a SaaS model for the intelligent automation engine, if you will, which is Azure and then our on our robots if you will are on our amazon instance mm -hmm. so it's just completely cloud We're really advanced i don't think anyone in the, in the rest of the states have that um so, so how do you how do you um how do you decide when to make a bot fully automatic versus supervised 
Yeah, so that's that's basically the business deciding that, the process owners. So, for example, there may be something that they want to, it's too critical. That initially, they want to be able to do like a quality check of the data sure. that's been created. So, for accounts payable, for example, would be a perfect one. Or billing, right? They might have a process where they want to make sure that the date is correct before they push the button when and it, and it cuts the checks right so yeah. so that's one where we definitely have that qa step if you will um so that's all dependent on the um the business owner if, if they're saying well we would really like to have this person doing a qa check so so i would say roughly we have about 10 to 15 percent right now that are um attended which means they you know they request at this time um someone to push the button after they do a quality check right and i'm looking at a, a table right now that lists some of the things that you've automated and there's a column called complexity and all the yeah. ones i see here say either low or medium is there yeah. anything on the horizon to do anything more complex yeah, there are some processes that are high complexity, but that's where we start getting into more advanced intelligent automation. Um, we have a couple um, processes that are going to just one process is going to bring 40,000 hours or 30,000 hours mm. of savings, right? So that's a very complex process. We have another one that's accounts payable. There's accounts payable is um, three steps and the two steps are easy they're like medium complexity but then the one step is high complexity mm -hmm. um so we have those and and that's when it means high complexity colin it means that it's going to take more resources and a longer sprint if you will to do that right uh so what is it that makes that step complex for a for a it, it, for a bot yeah it could be the business rules um, that it's, you know, that it has to calculate, you know, or, or interpret, if you will. Um, it could be, you know, mm. pulling in additional data, derived data that it has to do before it finishes its task. Mm. Um, it just could be computational that it has to do as well. Um, so it's a plethora of um, considerations that um, that go under if it's a technical. So is it someone that we could just like crank out the code, and you know, but usually a... a high complexity will be roughly 18 weeks 16 to 18 weeks of um you know one one to two resources so. right well it sounds like uh you are very uh very much uh, skilled in this area do, do you have other many other staff around who are also good with automation um do you have any i guess what i'm getting at is do you have any staffing challenges when it comes to to standing up a yeah. extensive well, we, project we, like this, we work with a we work with a um, <clears throat> a business partner and a strategic business partner that's helping us do the imp the design and the implementation and the um, and the and the support. Um, Is that UiPath? We, uh, no, UiPath's the vendor, the software vendor, right? So we have an SI systems integrator that um, that we that we uh, partner with to um, do the discovery the design the development and the deployment and the uh and the support and eventually we will be probably um in fiscal year 25 we'll start um kind of weaning off though that integrator and um getting it to where we're having state employees we feel that we'll always have a 
uh, kind of like a SWAT team or a tiger team of the systems integrator because they're like the gurus. Um, but um, right now it's not, and right, right now it's mostly to get the pro get all the automations completed. Um, and once we do that, then we'll go into a maintenance mode, low risk mode, and then we'll have um, where we be state employees. Right. Well, uh, when you put the time savings into numbers, you know, these tens of thousands or eventually hundreds of thousands of hours saved, it sounds really great. But I imagine that eventually you reach a point where it gets into the kind of more of the the qualitative area, not only in the data quality and things like that, but for people's sort of their quality of work life. Have you received any feedback like that where people are, are happy that they don't have to be robots themselves? Yeah, so, so actually people are, you know, pretty pleased because they are given opportunity to do less mundane tasks and um, and actually do more analytical tasks or more strategic tasks um, at their job. So it's, it's much more uh, fulfilling. Um, so that's kind of the role right now is once the hours are saved and these people are read reassigned to you know in the same department but doing more tasks that are enjoyable for them for promotion etc like that so it's pretty cool i mean we've gotten extreme positive feedback from the from the field as far as where you know people really enjoy the automation because it gives them they're not backlogged anymore they're able to do other things so that's um it's it's a real positive um experience right now and 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 we measure both most of our focus is actually on the business, the metrics on a qualitative side, um, but that also is um, job satisfaction and are they pleased with the automation, but then it's the division leader, if you will, are the ones that, you know, assign them to other other tasks. Right. Well, we talked a little bit about uh, what's coming up, you know, just uh, more automation. Is there anything... Uh, coming in the in the net, coming weeks or months that is uh, might be of interest to our audience. Well, I think we're <clears throat> we're we're pretty um, hit. You know, we're pretty pedal to the metal, if you will, just moving very quickly. So we've um, engaged thirteen agencies. We're going to engage another um, uh, seven agencies. So we expect by um, end of fiscal year. Uh, 23, which will be um, end of June, we expect to be engaged in 20 agencies. Um, so we're moving pretty quick on that. Um, each year we're doing 70 to 80 uh, new processes. So we'll be probably at a quarter million, um, quarter million hours saved on that. Um, we are expanding out to what they call the non-consolidated um, agencies, which are like, you know, the Department of Transportation, Department of Education. Um, we'll be doing that later on the fiscal year. And um, pretty much, you know, just we're just uh, starting to expand. Uh, there's a lot of, I'm going to say, grassroots movement where um, we are training people on using it. It's called an ideation to realization um, software, which people, if they have an idea to um, automate something, um, they are able to submit it and it calculates the hours and, you know, and all the other savings. Um, so we're training over the next three months, we're training um, all of the eight um, uh, BAs, the architects, the IT managers, etc. Um, so that's pretty exciting, we feel. Um, and then 
<clears throat> we're getting already uh, people coming up with ideas and letting us know. So it's kind of the grassroots we talked about. Um, so we think that's just going to kick off uh, pretty rapidly in the spring um, where people will be able to do kind of like, I, I think it's going to be more of a rewarding feeling uh, where they're able to identify areas to improve the business and, and to improve their quality of work, um, their work environment, I mean, and um, and also be able to uh, um, save, this, save the state costs. So I think that's what's coming up. Yeah. That's great. This is uh yeah, this is very interesting. Is there anything we didn't get to or do you think we, we Yeah, I, I think yeah, I think the only thing is that um um we are actually getting a lot of uh or a few non-agencies so beyond the 23 executive agencies um that are very interested to work with us as well uh for this automation. So you can see how it's kind of <laughs> slowly spreading out if you will uh beyond the 23 agencies. So that's pretty exciting for us. Um you know we have one group that you know had it's an age it's not an agency it's like a commission but they have like um um you know five or six divisions that they want us to work with. So you know it's it's pretty impressive when you're getting your audience or the users to embrace it as well yeah so it's 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 pretty it, it it makes it makes it it makes the work fun let's put it that way bob pucci tennessee's executive director of intelligent automation you can read more about him and automation on statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes you can also read more about all of the other projects that were nominated for and won nasio state it recognition awards the Priorities Podcast is available wherever you hear podcasts. If you haven't already, please leave a review or a rating on the podcast page. They make it more likely that more people will find the show. This podcast is a production of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher helped put it together. And the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Until next week, I'm your host, Jake Williams. Thanks for listening. <laughs>